For your awards consideration, Max presents the Emmy Award-winning HBO original series, Succession. As power struggles ensue, the Roy family weighs up a future where their cultural and political weight is severely curtailed. Don't miss the series IndieWire calls the end-all, be-all of TV. Emmy eligible for Outstanding Drama Series and all other categories. Succession is streaming now on Max. Today on Crew Call, we have seven-time Oscar-nominated filmmaker Wes Anderson, who takes us out to the desert and to Broadway in his 11th title, Asteroid City. Wes Anderson, welcome. Uh, Thank you, Anthony. Thank you for having me. You know, for me, it always boils down to Eugene Ionesco with you. I think you are the cinematic living soul of, of Eugene Ionesco. What do you have to say to that? I'm sorry to like gush on you in the first question. Well, I would say, um, you know, one th- I I I uh, I, all, I I remember reading this uh, article in the New York Times. It was Mike Nichols talking about um, about making movies, and in it he says a thing that you would not expect Mike Nichols to say. That he says when he's working every day, at some point he thinks of Bunuel. Um, that this is this director who, when faced with a problem, uh, goes to his subconscious and um, he always can discover his solution somewhere in his imagination, which combines all his experiences and his voice allows him this kind of reservoir of something or another. Um, And um, I sort of feel, I kind of aspire to that, I like the idea of you know my, my when I'm writing, I, mean, I, f- I feel the most uh, improvisational part of making a movie for me is writing the script. It's when you have this moment where it doesn't exist, nothing exists, and it's either happens or it doesn't and goes on to the page. And I kind of and I often think of a uh, of. Of Bunuel, it's not exactly Ionesco, but it's a uh, but uh, it, but it's uh, sort of in the same vein that it's that it that I wanted to come, I wanted to have mystery, and I like when I'm working on something where I don't quite understand it, and it reveals itself to me as we go along, or it doesn't. So, how did this come about? I know you grew up in Texas, but I, I feel that you've actually been to this town, Asteroid City. <laughs> yes, I think so. You know, I what I say is, I've passed through it many times. Yes, um, you know, I mean, I, I say literally, I used to drive uh, from uh, from Texas to Lo- to Los Angeles. Uh, I mean, I've made that drive many times, and you know, this is somewhere along the route, probably along the old route, but you know, off of the ba- off of the interstate, but um, but. You know, I I can kind of see it as a real place. I think it's in our version. It's it's the setting for a play, so it sort of has a theatrical. You know, we built a desert in the middle of nowhere, which is an odd thing to do. Um, but um, you know, we brought we brought in a lot of sand. Um, but um, it's a. Uh, but I do feel like it's it's it refers to a real kind of place. Um, where that where I've been, and then it also refers to places we've seen in movies. How did you start conceiving this? Did it start off 
in a lookbook? Did you have drawings? Were these conversations with Roman Coppola and Jason Schwartzman? Yeah, well, the movie started with, I, I feel this often is what happens. It's not that you have an idea for a movie, but you've sort of got two ideas for a movie and they get mixed together and that becomes a thing. Um, and in the case of this, it was an idea to make a movie that was about the the, the American theater, backst a backstage kind of story, portrait of some kind, uh, uh, set in the 50s. And we kept thinking of, I mean, there are many people we think of, but somehow the ones at the front of it were Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, and they were in Provincetown or wherever they would do their summer stock or something. And we were thinking of that world. And then we were also thinking of a play that is shown that they're putting on, but that the play is a real story that we really tell like a movie. And the, the play is kind of the movie. Um, and it sort of became something about the East Coast theater and West Coast cinema and these actors who would do both and these uh, the and these mixed mixture of worlds. And it was about the 50s, this America after this, these men who'd come back from the from a war and the women who were dealing with their the mental illness that they didn't it was undiagnosed forever. Um, and what that meant, what what that was like in, in, a, in our country. And would you say this class battle, as we see in Augie and Stanley? The uh, yeah, I think I see a I, I you know th that kind of relates in a way to a generational thing. I feel like Stanley is uh, uh you know Augie is probably the beginning of a beat, you know, uh, and and those kids, these teenagers in the movie, uh, ten years later are going to be um on a completely different wavelength. You know, there's going to be a generation gap uh, that hasn't been experienced before or, or quite so profoundly uh, in America. And um, and that's kind of what's in store for these people. But uh, but this is the moment where the surface of the country is so focused on I mean, there's a Cold War, but it's America at peace and America at peace still has every man has a uh, sidearm. So you always write for an ensemble. How many storylines do you have going on at one time? Well, this, you know, this one, I, uh, we sort of discovered that part of our subject matter, what was engaging us about it was we wanted to write about actors. Um, and so there, in, it ended up being a very complicated thing where there are actors playing actors and there's there's layers of actors in the movie. Um, even we have a character of an alien. And, you know, to me, this alien is essentially Jeff Goldblum, a performance. Uh, you know, it's a kind of uh, this kind of embodiment of a performance as much as it's the embodiment of an alien. I often have done written ensemble films. I will say, um, you know, I'm, I'm working on something right now that uh, uh, this uh, the next movie, we, we have these Roald Dahl movies that uh, that we have that, that are short films, which are, you know, they're a much smaller cast. And then I have a script that I finished right before the, the writer's strike, which is really an actual three-hander. Um, and this one we plan to do whenever, you know, sometime soon. And it's a, uh, and it's a, it's an, I would say it's not an ensemble. Um, so, but I, I, you know, I am obviously I've done a lot of movies with big casts. So, uh, and this one is a real ensemble in that, they're all there together at once. 
um, which I which is you know kind of a interesting complicated thing to to do. For your awards consideration, Max presents the Emmy Award-winning HBO original series, Succession. As power struggles ensue, the Roy family weighs up a future where their cultural and political weight is severely curtailed. Don't miss the series IndieWire calls the end-all, be-all of TV. Emmy eligible for outstanding drama series and all other categories. Succession is streaming now. On Max. So you you started this. We're going to take a left down tangent road now to okay. this new project, the three hander. What uh-huh. genre? What genre are we thinking? Well, <laughs> um, I think I think of it as a kind of character study, and I mean I don't want to say much too much about it, but um, I think it might read as sort of an adventure. Uh, because they, it has a bit of w- w- globe trotting to it, but to me, it's 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 a character piece, um, and it's really about uh, three and even two uh, characters and their the evolution of this relationship of these people. Will you get together with your posse? You know, will Jason be back? Maybe Owen Wilson. We have uh, we have so, yeah we're, we yeah, we we have a. Some people who, who I've worked with before, in fact, most of the people I've worked with before, but, but there's some new people too. You know, the center of it, I don't want to say who's in it. Okay. Now, <laughs> the the other thing I wanted to ask you about, do you obsess about the comedy? And what I mean about that is you have a comedic nature. Are you very specific with your actors on their cadence? Do you test your films? Right. I think every actor wants a different thing from me. I mean, not that, you know, there's a range of, I, one thing I've learned is there are actors who, there are situations where the best that I can do is to just stay out of it. And even if it's not quite working, some, or even if it's not, they just let it evolve because I've had so many times in the where I'm watching the dailies of our movie and I can hear myself say something and things get worse. Uh, and we sit there in the cutting room and it's, you know, it's slightly humiliating to sit there with your editor, seeing yourself directed into a worse thing and saying, OK, we just need to use take two after all. Um, but it happens. Um, but there are also actors who like to be directed and use it and it helps them. And sometimes an actor, I will say that sometimes an actor who is who brings authenticity and who brings power and who uh, who needs help with bringing that into a thing that makes it still funny um and so that sometimes is the place where you know i can say okay well here's the thing now just try this thing to it and sometimes it's something that's very can be very obvious but it isn't necessarily there if you're if you're not tuned into it a bit um so, yeah, but in general, you know, for me, what I want to do is just give them a space. And I, I, sometimes I've given them a very particular sort of space. Um, but what I want them to do is just bring it to life. I mean, Scarlett Johansson arrives with deadpan, period. <laughs> Scarlett, I loved how I loved having Scarlett. I, you know, I've known Scarlett a li- over the years and she's she's been in one of my films that she did. She played. Uh, just her voice, uh, but um, 
uh, I she was I she was great in this. And um, you know, I think I mean I first met her, she was probably 17 years old or something like that. Uh, and um she's uh now she's played to me. I I remember when we when we were doing these scenes with her, I kept thinking of Jenna Rollins. I was thinking of, you know, grown-up actresses with real deep dramatic chops and that kind of power and gravity and that's what i felt from her um and uh and i you know i loved just being an audience uh on our set watching her now how do you work with jason i understand he's a collaborator early on in the script how did that happen in the case of this movie he didn't we didn't we didn't show him the script until it was done and there was an interesting thing which he can tell better but essentially it was something that's happening in the story, which is this this man is traveling with his children across country and he has not told them uh, that their mother has died. This happened literally in his family to his. I mean, it happened. Uh, his grandfather did this. Um, and um, he so he read it and he thought that we were using that. And he said, how did you know that? I mean, how did you know? Who told you about it? Roman is his cousin. So he assumed somehow Roman knew this thing. Roman had no knowledge of it. It was just something built into it. Um, But the interesting thing with Jason is I first worked, you know, I met Jason when he was 16 or 17. And we had we had a part that really suited him, that connected to certain parts of his personality this is 1997 or something, and um, and this was in Rushmore, and he uh, and so our way of working was we were using the real him, and he had this wonderful talent, um, and was great. But now we have a totally different situation. It's it's all these years later. We've done lots of things together over all the years, and now when we're making a movie, he has his own method that has nothing to do with me, and it to the degree that. Um, in this movie, there was a certain point where I wanted him to do a. Well, I, I changed the schedule on a certain day. I said, "Let's just go over here and shoot this one part of this scene. Uh, we could do it right now." And he said, "But I have to. I have my. Um, I need an hour before I do that." I said, what, "What do you need an hour for?" And he then described for me the sort of ritual of preparation that he had been doing every day without me having any knowledge of it. It's completely separate from me. And it was necessary. And I realized when he did it, I mean, I saw him start to do it, but he does it privately. But without it, he wasn't ready. And um, it just reinforced the degree to which he's gone so far beyond what I uh, what, you know, what I my first experience with him. You are an oasis at the art house box office. You are a bright spot, as was French Dispatch when when theaters were reopening. Are you ever concerned about the state of the art house box office do you fear that the audience has been swallowed up by streaming that big monster streaming does this keep you up in the middle of the night well it doesn't but but it probably should um the uh i think you know i guess for me there part of the subject matter of our movie is um things beyond your control um you know um and our and part of what our movie is about is sort of how do you experience these things and just press on and you can and let them in and accept them, but carry on. And I'm sort of feel like you know for me, I'm you know, I'm on to the next one. Um, and uh, you know I uh, each movie is uh, you know I 
put everything I can into it. And I, I, you know, we're here at this film festival with our whole cast together. And I love that. I love feeling like we're a troupe that worked together. Now we're here to show the thing we made. But then um, then I'm going to go and do the next one. And so, you know, when, when I'll really be kept up and I is when I say you can't do the next one. That's the uh, that's the thing. And I think that'll come suddenly. <laughs> Have you ever thought to yourself, hey, why did Grand Budapest Hotel? Why is that my highest grossing film? And why is Royal Tannenbaum second? And wh why isn't The Life Aquatic up, up there? Do you ever like analyze your own work commercially or are you kind of like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what the, you know, one thing that happens is whatever the movie is, you get there to the moment that it's going to, you show it. Usually there's a film festival and at the film festival, I, I in answer to the earlier question, I never, I don't know. I don't test the movies. I make them, I show them to certain people. I do gather I try to see, are we being clear? Are we getting the things across that we're trying to get across? But I don't test them. I stopped, I haven't done that in so many years. And um, uh, I think with me, I, you know, I, now I've made, I, I've made so many movies and I feel when I make a new movie, often people see the things, the first thing they see is that I did it, you know, which is not really what I want to see. It's not to me. That's not really what I want to do is say, here's our new story and here's the new cast that's doing it. But somehow the way I do them, you can tell it's me, um, which I accept as part of just if I'm doing what I want, that's what it's like. In a way, every time I make a movie, I feel a bit like my movie, my new movie is in competition with all my other movies. Um, and it's a weird feeling. And it's certainly not, you know, it's not a feeling you have when you first start making movies after after we're doing it for 25 years or however long I've been doing these movies that's part of the experience of it happening and when you start when you show the movie in a festival or when and when it comes out you never have the slightest idea what's going to happen you don't eat no matter what you think I mean you might have a brewing feeling maybe this one's going to do well or not but it's totally unpredictable from the point of view of uh the filmmaker um and you can't simulate it. You've got to make it the way you really want it and then be lucky. And it's the one that in some, I've had movies where they didn't go, like Live Aquatic was not uh, well received, uh, particularly at the time. But over the years, it does have its own, it has its supporters, um, but it took a long I time. There. I was there from the beginning with Live you Aquatic. Were, yeah. And I'm still there. And <laughs> I, I, but I'm, 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 over the moon that it, it 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 that history caught up with it. Yeah, well, I, I yeah, it's nice if it did. I mean, I remember I had a friend who saw it uh, before it was released, and she told me uh, she liked the movie, and she said, "I think it would be ten years before um, before uh, this movie is appreciated." As really, yeah, but I don't know if it ever was appreciated the way she was meaning for it to. But it, ten years later, it definitely had a better rap than it did at the time. That's the delay in the joke and getting the laugh. One decade. <laughs> One decade. <laughs> There's a lot of change going on in the industry. Paychecks are getting smaller. Streaming's encroaching on theatrical. This is the center of what's going on in the various strikes right now. The WGA strike, the actors, they're, they're seeking a strike authorization at the time of this podcast. And then the DGA goes into talks. What are your concerns at this time? What is on your mind? Well, 
I'm in a different situation. You know, the the, the writer. So from for me, as a as a writer, I'm totally self-contained. I'm not I, I'm not a part of a writer's room, and I don't have a staff of writers, and it's really quite separate from what I have to do. My my world of movies. At first, I I I make them in in Europe usually, and uh, it's really um, a different thing. I'm less a part of the industry than than uh, than I might appear to be, I think. So I don't really know. I don't, I, you know, I, 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 what I think is when there's such a big change in how the money moves around, uh, it, it does take a while to keep it from all going to sort of the people who can get it. First, you know, I mean, it's, I think it's happened uh, in cyclically uh, over the course of the of these sort of these these epics of movie making, and um, not a big surprise that uh, there's uh, there's a, a a correction to be made. Look, you found a, a very serious, wonderful comedic streak in Bill Murray. Will you? Are you looking to work with him again? I think I will. I, I can't imagine not working with Bill again. He's a, you know, and when with our movie, he got COVID, and so he couldn't uh, be in the he couldn't be in the film. Um, that's we Steve Carell replaced Bill in Asteroid City, um, but you know, Bill is um, he's literally my daughter's godfather. But for me, he's a kind of godfather. Without being, you know, I'm not Catholic. Uh, he's Catholic. He, but he did actually. Uh, he not only is the godfather but he performed the baptism that is brilliant Wes Anderson thank you so much thank you Anthony nice to talk with you thanks for listening to this episode of the crew call podcast on deadline make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode